It's Monday, April 20th. We're studying 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18. Let's take a look at it here in our text. We're actually in the middle of a sentence right here in verse number 18. Uh, remember, we're talking about the transfiguration. He's making it clear in verse 16 here. This is not a myth. Uh, and they made known the power and coming of the Lord, and the power is demonstrated in the uh, transfiguration. And it talks about in verse 17, just to get the context here, that he received honor and glory from the Father, God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Now, our verse for today, which is short but important, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We ourselves, the way that the ESV translates this, a very emphatic we, uh, hard to explain uh, quickly, I guess, but you've got pronouns that are built into the verbs. And when you put a pronoun on top of the pronoun built into the verb, uh, it gets very emphatic. And it's very emphatic in this Greek sentence that uh, we ourselves, that we, we heard, literally, I mean, the Greek sentence reads, and this, the sound, we, we heard from heaven. Um, the, the point is we were there. We heard it. We were eyewitnesses of it. This is the importance of that emphatic statement about we were there. We were eyewitnesses. Take a look at this text in 1 John chapter 1, the importance of biblical truth being that which is given to us from historical perspectives, from eyewitnesses is so important. Uh, look what John says, uh, that which was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we have heard, uh, that which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. It was here. It's not in a secret, not some dark, you know, esoteric kind of experience, existential experience. Uh, we've seen it and we, uh, we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim it to you, this eternal life, which was with the Father and has been made manifest to us, a whole generation of people. Um, that which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be made complete. And they had no idea. John certainly didn't, from a human perspective, have any idea what kind of joy he will have from heaven's perspective as he was used to write these things down, both in the Gospel of John and in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, the way that we are benefiting from that eyewitness perspective of the apostle that allows us to look uh, to Christ in trust because these things happened in space and time and they were eyewitnesses to them. As a matter of fact, if you look at the passage in the ne next phrase here, it says, we ourselves, that's the way it's put in English here, even though in Greek it starts with this and this sound, but it says, we ourselves, we've heard the, this very voice uh, born from heaven. We heard it. Uh, we ourselves have heard this very voice. Again, a very emphatic construction. We in space and time have historical affirmations regarding Christ. That's why I quoted 1 John. And um, it's real. It is, as I've quoted many times, it's what Francis Schaeffer liked to call true truth. And I just thought because he writes so well on this, uh, I would give you a, a, a quick quotation here uh, from Schaefer on this topic. And I think it's so helpful and important for us as he tries to deal with the fact that we can be lured into, uh, in his day, the fight, the battle he was fighting was this um, neo-orthodoxy, this liberal theology that had grown up in America 
and in Europe, and uh, we needed to distinguish that from real Christianity. As uh, Machen says uh, in Christianity and Liberalism, the classic book, which everyone should read at some point in their Christian life, uh, I guess, at least if we understand the trends of theology in uh, modern church history, is that if we look at liberal Christianity, we're not dealing with um, Christianity at all. It's a different religion altogether because it's divorcing itself from historic Christianity, which is based on history and God in time and space. It's not a story, as we've said. It's not a fable or a myth. Anyway, take a look at this quote from Francis Schaeffer. Evangelicals can fall into something, and there's a passivity in this, fall into something which is really not far from existential theology, which even I didn't even mean to say it, but I said it earlier. That's the idea of people looking at this as some kind of subjective existential experience. Well, there is an existential theology, and a lot to that historically, uh, that is not Christianity at all. He says, and they can do it without knowing it. Uh, one form of such evangelical existentialism, he puts that in quotes because it's not real at all, it's not the way it should work, is the attitude, if not the words, listen, don't ask questions, just believe. That phrase right there is something we say all the time uh, without knowing it. At least a lot of people do. I hope I never do. But the idea of, you know what, this is faith. And faith is believing something and you're not really asking questions. You're not looking for proof. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not the Christianity of the Bible. He says this sort of attitude uh, was always wrong. It was wrong historically. It's wrong now. But it's doubly wrong today, he says, when we are surrounded by this monolithic consensus which divides reason from non-reason and always puts religious things in the area of non-reason. Nancy Percy, that was a disciple of uh, uh, Francis Schaeffer, this great uh, apologist that, that died in the early 1980s, uh, popularized a lot of Francis Schaeffer's work in her books, uh, starting with Total Truth, in, in really talking about these two distinct uh, categories that people think in today. And I've dealt with that a little bit in our series and just in this very section of Second Peter, that people look at Christianity and religion in the category of non-reason, in the category of preference, in the category of it's true for you and it's not true for me, as opposed to what Francis Schaeffer liked to call true truth. And um, there is almost, at least out there, a monolithic consensus that's going to take reason and non-reason and say, well, this is mathematical truth, this is empirical truth, this is scientific truth, but this is religious truth, this is faith, this is believing, this is just your non-reasonable or non-rational, rather, uh, kind of belief. And it always seems to put religious things in the area of non-reason. He says, we must call each other away from this idea. It is not more spiritual to believe without asking questions, and it is not more biblical. It is less biblical, and eventually it'll be less spiritual. Why? Because the whole man will not be involved. More on this. Consequently, in our evangelism, and I say this to those of you, I hope studying along with me, knowing that we are presenting this to our generation, not as some kind of preference, not as some kind of existential or experiential kind of, I just want to feel something spiritual with God. Uh, we're presenting historical truth, truth about what the apostles heard and saw and touched and handled, and they presented it to us so that we could have the theological implications of all of this, that we could trust in Christ and have a relationship with God and have our sins uh, taken out of the way, taken and removed from our relationship with God so we can have peace with God. He says, consequently, in our evangelism, in our personal work, and in young people's work, in our ministry, wherever we are, those of us who are preachers and are preaching, and those of us who are teachers and are teaching, and those of us who are evangelists must be absolutely determined 
not to fall into the trap of saying or implying, don't ask questions, just believe. It's just faith. So, you know, that means you don't look for evidence. You don't look for proof. You don't look for history. You don't look for things that happened in time and space in the past. It must be the whole man who comes to understand that the gospel is truth, that's very important, and believes because he is convinced on the basis of good and sufficient reason that it is the truth. That is so important. And I find so many people, even with theological um, overtones and theological uh, dressing on on their thoughts, are are trying to get us back to this place of what um, we had to escape in liberal Christianity and this existential theology. We need to be in a place where we know that that our Christianity is based on truth in time and space. And this is a great little verse to remind us of that. He says, we ourselves... We, we heard these things. We were eyewitness of them. We heard this very voice, real space-time historical affirmations of the deity of Christ. True truth. He says, born from heaven. Now, that's important. We want to go back to our passage here in Second uh, Peter. Uh, born from heaven. Can we look at this word right here? Uh, and, and it's important for us to understand, I suppose, uh, the usage of this word. Uh, Shemayim in Hebrew, that translates heaven, which is a plural, I am at the end of it, um, the heavens, uh, very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens, Shemayim, and the earth, Eretz. Uh, the uh, New Testament, Uranus, the um, heavens. Uh, the idea of heaven in Scripture has got one word for three different categories. And it's important to recognize that. And one place you'll certainly see it is in a place like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul's talking about this vision that he had. He says in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on, must I go on boasting? I must go on boasting, rather. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ, speaking of himself in the third person, who 14 years ago was caught up into the, look at this phrase, the third heaven. Uh, whether in the body or in the, not in the body, um, I don't know. God knows. And I know, verse 3, that this man was caught up into, and here's how he's defining the third heaven here, right? The third heaven is paradise, place where God is, where the place where Jesus said on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And again, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He heard things that cannot be told and things that man can't utter, which, by the way, anyone who claims to go to heaven and coming back and writing best-selling books about it, uh, it's a good verse to remember. That's not uh, the pattern in Scripture. There are certain things, clearly, that God uh, does not want us to know at this particular time. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is this. The third heaven reminds us that uh, you have to think in three distinct categories when you see the word heaven. Though I think in our passage here, this is simply a euphemism of God speaking, right? We heard this voice from heaven. But heaven is used as a word we might use, sky, to distinguish sky from space and space from the third heaven where God lives. So there's a first heaven, the sky, I like to say where the birds fly. There's the second heaven talked about in Scripture where the stars are, the planets. Talk about uh, The Bible talks about the, 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 the uh, heavens declare the glory of God, talking about the moon and the stars. Uh, and then that space, we call that space, not a word used in Scripture. And then the place where God's abode is, where God dwells, an unapproachable light. Um, all three of those references are, are um, or objects rather, are used of this same by this same word. It's, a, it's the descriptive used of all three. And so in this particular passage, of course, it's probably coming from up in the sky. We can assume that. Uh, and we 
can certainly understand that what this means is that they are having this authoritative uh, voice coming from God's abode. So just at least a, a quick stop to think about that particular aspect of the usage of the word because we come across that and I get questions about it all the time. Uh, this says heaven. Are we talking about God's uh, living room, God's abode? Well, it could be, depending on the context, could be the outer space. It could be the sky where the birds fly. Birds fly where the planets hang out or where God dwells. And in this case, um, I'm not even trying to argue that it's uh, one or the other. I'm actually saying it's probably uh, both up in the sky. It came from heaven, it came from the sky, uh, and it came obviously as God's voice, as an affirmation on the sun. It came from God's abode. Uh, and then it says, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now remember Peter in that in that context, as we looked at last time, he wanted to build those tabernacles, those temple uh, uh, tents, and uh, Jesus told him not to. It's interesting if you look about uh, look in, in in Bible dictionaries and in history and archaeology to find out where did this happen. Uh, I think it's interesting that God did not allow us to figure this out. I mean, there's plenty of places suggested. Some early on have suggested the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. Some have suggested Mount Tabor. Some have just suggested uh, Mount Hermon. Uh, there's other suggestions, but uh, it's, I find it interesting that, that we don't know where this is because uh, I, I think if we knew today where Elijah and Moses showed up and Jesus was transfigured, I think there would be a lot of uh, undue interest in that place when the point of this passage is to be interested in the credentials of the Son. So uh, great passage. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. We heard this voice on, uh, we were with him there on the holy mountain, that mountain that was set apart. That's what holy means. And uh, he's saying we heard it. We're witnesses of it. So more next time, we'll get into a really a whole new section, verse 19, tomorrow. And we heard the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We'll get into what that means, and we appreciate you tuning in today. Take a minute, would you, to make a comment uh, here on this uh, video. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast, be sure to share the podcast. Uh, we'd love for you to make sure you subscribe and you just interact with us. We'd be encouraged to hear from you today. And join us tomorrow as we continue our study through Second Peter chapter 1.